Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do a great job. They take care of us. And you can find out more by visiting their website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute and constitutional scholar. We'll be finishing our discussion about executive powers, especially executive overreach. We'll visit with Andrew Jopper, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, and Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of several books. Well, his latest is right here in my grubby appendages. The name of it is What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. I've read the first part of it. It's really an outstanding read. It is March the 3rd. Happy birthday to my lovely wife, Linda. And it is on this day in 1820... After months of bitter debate, Congress passed the Missouri Compromise Bill that temporarily resolved the first serious political clash between slavery and anti-slavery interests in the United States. In February 1819, Representative James Talmadge of New York introduced a bill that would admit Missouri into the Union as a state where slavery was prohibited. At the time, there were 11 free states and 10 slave states. Southern congressmen feared that the entrance of Missouri as a free state would upset the balance of power between North and South, as the North was far outdistanced the South in population and thus U.S. representatives. Opponents to the bill also questioned the congressional precedent of prohibiting the expansion of slavery into a territory where slave status was favored. Even after Alabama was granted statehood into December 1819 with no prohibition on its practice of slavery, Congress remained deadlocked on the issue of Missouri. Finally, a compromise was reached. On March the 3rd, 1820, Congress passed a bill granting Missouri statehood as a slave state under the condition that slavery was to be forever, forever prohibited in the rest of the Louisiana Purchase north of the 36th parallel, which runs approximately along the southern border of Missouri. In addition, Maine, formerly part of Massachusetts, was admitted as a free state, thus preserving the balance between northern and southern senators. The Missouri Compromise, although criticized by many on both sides of the slavery debate, succeeded in keeping the Union together for more than another 30 years. In 1854, it was repealed by the Kansas-Nebraska Act, which dictated that slave or free status was to be decided by popular vote in the territories of Kansas and Nebraska, though both were north of the 36th parallel. So, the whole issue of slavery plays out during American history. Remember, it was abolished, the, the ability to bring slaves into the United States in 1807. The whole thing wasn't resolved, until, of course, until the Civil War. Well, NCH Healthcare System is expanding patient visitation hours as COVID-19 hospitalizations decline. I wasn't able to find much news on how many cases of COVID-19 are uh, existing. However, this is good news. New visitors hours starting Wednesday at 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. for patients at both NCH Baker and North Naples hospitals. In addition, patients may now have two visitors at a time for general and critical care areas. Nobody's more conservative, of course, in the healthcare system when it comes to COVID-19, so you can see things are beginning to loosen up. Visitation hours are not fully back to what they had been before the pandemic hit, which was 9 a.m. to 8 p.m., but uh, this is good news. By the way, Joe Biden was asked when things will go back to normal on Tuesday as he shuffled out of his presser. He paused and told the left-wing reporters, I've been cautioned not to give an answer for this because we do not know for sure, but my hope is by this time next year, I'm not kidding, he really said this, by this time next year, we'll be back to normal. But again, it depends on people continue to... Uh, be smart and understand that we still have can have significant losses. Maybe next year, he said. Meanwhile, the border, of course, is wide open to illegals coming in, fake refugees, 
all could be with all kinds of diseases, never mind COVID-19. So scientists are struggling to explain the major ongoing drop in COVID cases nationwide, with experts pointing to a variety of explanations, including possible herd immunity, compliance with mitigation orders, and rising vaccination rates as possible causes. Uh, Positive COVID cases uh, skyrocketed through the fall and winter, with positive tests reaching as high as uh, $300,000 one day early in January. Following the peak, cases tumbled downward in what was an effectively an unbroken decline in positive test results for two months. Uh, daily cases now last uh, week reached levels not seen since October, and they continue to decline. Uh, so uh, right now the question is, why are we still all masked up? Well, in some cases, Tuesday, uh, Texas became the largest state to lift its mask rule, joining a rapidly growing movement by governors and other leaders across the United States to loosen COVID restrictions despite pleas from health officials not to let the guard down yet. The Lone Star State will be uh, do away with limits on the number of diners who can be uh, served indoors, instead of Republican Governor uh, Greg Abbott, who made the announcement at a restaurant in Lubbock. The governors of Michigan, Mississippi, Louisiana, otherwise eased up, eased up on bars, restaurants, and other businesses today and yesterday, as they did, as did the mayor of San Francisco. Removing statewide mandates does not end personal responsibility, said Abbott, speaking from a crowded dining room where many of those surrounding him were not wearing masks. It's just that now state mandates are no longer needed. God bless him. He's absolutely never that. They never were. Quite frankly, we all can take personal responsibility for our health, and that's the way it should be. All these mandates have been, in my view, unconstitutional. A year in crisis, politicians and ordinary Americans alike have grown tired of rules meant to stem the spread of the coronavirus, which have killed over half a million folks in the United States. Some places are lifting infection control measures, and other places, people are just ignoring them. It's a pleasant thing to see, of course, right here in Florida. We've been so fortunate to have a governor who's basically said, hey, let's trust the population. If you've got a compromised immune system, take good care. Stay inside. If you don't, be careful, please. Social distance, but uh, make good decisions about your health. And you know what? That's worked out just as well in Florida as it has in any other state in the nation. Miami Beach will require masks indoors and outs- restrict the number of people allowed on the beach as well as in bars and restaurants, so there's still some stuff going on here in uh, Florida. If you want to party at, without restrictions, then go somewhere else. Go to Las Vegas. Miami Beach City Manager Raul Aguilla said during a recent visit, uh, virtual meeting, we will take a zero-tolerance attitude towards that behavior. Of course, why is he saying that? Well, guess what? We have the whole well, let's go to Florida and, and party thing happening in colleges right now. So in Michigan, a group has called uh, All Businesses Essential has resisted Governor Gretchen Whitmer's virus policies, and many people are ignoring mask requirements and other measures. Uh, so at this point, you've just got to look at yourself in the mirror and say, do I really want a zero-risk life? Well, life is risky, and uh, quite frankly, this whole thing, in my opinion, has been way overblown. The pandemic of fear is far more severe the pandemic of this virus. Yesterday, only one month after Biden's inauguration, President Trump's first public speech drew over 31 million on social media. Ironically, Trump has been banned from Facebook and Twitter, where millions of people watched his blockbuster speech. We watched it. It was terrific. I think we Linda subscribed to some sort of service in order for us to be able to watch it. But 31 million folks, if you watched it, you weren't alone. Trump Advisory Board member Jason Meister shared the news on an incredible viewership numbers for Trump's speech on social media. President Trump's speech eclipsed 31 million live viewers on social media. That's a big, big number. Throughout his presidential campaign and continuing since the White House, Joe Biden has promised a transparent approach to press and public relations. Yet in recent weeks, his administration has closed off, at least for now, several key avenues via uh, the press and public, have been for years gained a modicum of transparency, accessibility, and accountability from the White House. 
These moves to curb press and public access come as President Biden himself has at times appeared to be struggling with the public demands of his job. Notably, the White House has said that while it will divulge records of individuals who physically visit the White House, it will not be sharing virtual visitor logs. The Biden administration has relied heavily on virtual meetings out of concern that COVID-19 might spread into face-to-face gatherings. Well, now that this is all clearing up, I wonder what he's going to say uh, to these gatherings. An unnamed White House official told Politico this week that the administration's refusal to release virtual meeting logs was in line with the same way the previous administration did release phone logs. Meanwhile, White House Press Secretary Jane Psaki uh, this week exorbitantly dismissed a reporter's query into the administration's lack of transparency. Biden is meeting with members of the Senate virtually today, she said. There, there I released it to you. What else would you like to know, she said. What a, kind of a smart-ass kind of a comment. The White House has also shut down its comment line about which American citizens can call in and leave comments for the executive branch. A recording claims that the comment office is temporarily closed and urges callers to visit the White House contact page instead. So, uh, you know, it's what has it been, 42 days, I believe, since he's at a press conference. Been inaccessible, the president himself. Hey, and where's the State of the Union address? Well, it's all February is coming, God. We haven't seen that. Seems like to me, he just appears like kind of a yeah, representative figure out there doing whatever the people in the back room smoking cigars want him to do. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know, and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples magazine. To find out more, visit lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with Bob Levy. He is the uh, chairman of the Cato Institute and a constitutional scholar, author of several books. We're going to be talking about executive powers. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in the commitment 
to uh, individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Bob Levy, constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. And tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and devoted to free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Terrific organization. So, Bob, uh, for many weeks uh, we were talking about uh, executive powers and executive overreach on the part of the President of the United States. Let's move to NSA surveillance, very controversial and important uh, issue. What are the so-called metadata and PRISM programs that have been so controversial? Well, these disclosures by Snowden, you know, focused attention on a couple of areas. Uh, the first collection of what's called non-content phone records, and that just means dates, times, and numbers called uh, on virtually every American under the business records provision of the Patriot Act. So not the content of the calls, but all the other data called metadata. Mm -hmm. And second, a program called PRISM that was authorized by the FISA, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act uh, provisions. And under that program, the government collects Internet data from the big tech companies, Google and Facebook, without a warrant, as long as the target is not a U.S. person or a foreign person who's operating inside the U.S., so those were the two controversial programs. So did uh, Edward Snowden do us a favor by disclosing the programs? Well, I think no matter what you think about Snowden, he did spark a long overdue debate uh, regarding the NSA. Uh, there were a lot of things we didn't know about. What was the full scope of this surveillance? Uh, what could be done with the data? What triggered uh, a further look at the content? of the calls beyond the metadata. Uh, how long could the data be retained? Who had access to it? Uh, what kind of oversight procedures were, were in place? And what were the remedies if there were any abuse? So Snowden did, uh, by disclosing these programs, he did focus our attention on these unanswered uh, questions. So the big call for him to be pardoned by the president on the last day of, his, of uh, Trump's presidency. Is he a hero or a traitor? And I'm talking about Snowden. <laughs> well, yeah, the, main, uh, the main argument against uh, treating Snowden as a hero is that he may have disclosed crucial information to uh, you know, such bastions of liberty as uh, Russia, China, Venezuela, Ecuador, Bolivia, Nicaragua, and Cuba. Uh, these, these were the countries where he applied for asylum, uh, ending up, as you know, in, in Russia. So th that's the crux of the matter for some pro-liberty folks. Uh, I do think Snowden deserves our enduring gratitude for uncovering some of this government abuse, and he, took, uh, he put himself at great personal risk to do that. Uh, but on the other hand, he probably had help from Russia and may have uh, compromised vital national security interests. So I, I'd say on balance, we don't have enough information to make that determination as to what side we should come down on, traitor or hero. He might have been a little bit of both. Mm, yeah. So any suggestions for resolving the Snowden matter? Yeah, I think he, if he agreed to come home uh, and cooperate with uh, investigators, and then the government agreed that he wouldn't be prosecuted for anything that he that's already been disclosed to the public. But he could be held accountable for any actions not yet disclosed that that amount to espionage. And espionage is traditionally defined as uh, transmitting national defense information with either the intent or the or the reason to believe that it would be used. Uh, against the United States or or for the advantage of some foreign country. And then if, if there were such charges that have not yet been disclosed, 
then as as constitutionally required, the government would have the burden of presenting evidence to a, a grand jury and obtaining an indictment and, and prevailing in a criminal criminal trial. Now, you know, Snowden says there there were no there, were, there is no such a evidence. So let him come home and and uh, expose himself to that inquiry. And if he's right, uh, then he he. Uh, he gets released, and if he's not right, he gets prosecuted. Yeah, I doubt very much that he will. He would accept such a proposal. Yeah. What What about just uh, you know having uh, working it out and having the, these discussions? I'm quite frankly, I'm I'm quite certain that the uh, CIA and has lots of information about this already. Why not just work out some sort of a plea agreement before he comes home? Let him come home, and uh, you know, I think that's a win win for everybody involved. Yeah, I, I doubt very much that uh, Snowden, uh, knowing what the CIA probably has, uh, I doubt that, uh, or the NSA, I doubt that Snowden would buy on to that uh, agreement. I mean, he's yeah. in Russia, and of course, with the limitations that accrue to being in a country that's basically a totalitarian dictatorship. But on the other hand, he's a bit of a celebrity. And who knows what his lifestyle is over there. So whatever he may regret about being in the United States, I think being in jail would not be uh, an alternative that he'd find palatable. And my guess is that he might end up in that uh, position. Again, I don't know, but that's an educated guess. Well, uh, and and also probably pretty vulnerable, so a lot of hate groups here in the United States, too. (laughs) That's right. So uh, have the courts said anything about NSA surveillance? Yeah, a long time ago, the Supreme Court held in a pretty important case called Smith versus Maryland that we don't have a privacy right in uh, this non-content data because we voluntarily give it up to the phone companies. But, you know, that was uh, that was back in the 1970s, and that was before NSA developed these really sophisticated techniques that basically monitor everybody everywhere at all times. Uh, so when the judges took a look at this much more sophisticated program, uh, a federal judge held that uh, the metadata surveillance was unconstitutional. And he pointed out that the Smith case involved a one-time targeted request uh, for data regarding an individual suspect in a criminal investigation. And by contrast, this NSA program was daily indiscriminate dump of of data from people who were not suspected of any wrongdoing at all. And most importantly, the judge pointed out that the government did not cite a single instance in which the data actually stopped uh, an imminent uh, terrorist attack. Amazing stuff. So what have other experts said about uh, NASA surveillance? Well, we had this big report uh, from the Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board that said that the uh, surveillance is uh, illegal um, and ineffective and raises constitutional concerns about unreasonable searches and free speech and the a free press, and they recommended that the program should be halted uh, and the existing data should be deleted. And again, they cited that we haven't identified a single instance involving a threat to the United States in which the program made a difference in the outcome uh, or helped a uh, counterterrorism investigation. They, They recommended that the NSA should seek these records, if they needed them, directly from the phone companies that had them under existing laws. Namely, you couldn't do it without a warrant. You'd have to show some sort of uh, rationale, justification for gathering the data. So interesting, Bob Levy, again, the chairman of the Cato Institute. I have a couple more questions about uh, this whole FISA Act, but uh, unfortunately going to move on. But I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. Bob Levy, again, the chairman of the Cato Institute. The website is cato.org, C-A-T-O. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you. Thank you so much. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Andy Joppa. Andrew Joppa is a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show. 
here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshire Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And the website is golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa. He's written a terrific book. It's called Josephus of Oz. Not on today's topic, but really, really fascinating. Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob, and thanks for your comments about my book. I really appreciate those. Oh, absolutely. Well, it is a terrific read. We'll have to talk about that again. We we did a show a couple of years ago about the book. We've got to do it again. Yes, I, I'd like to. I, I'd like to do that. So, hey, Andy, I want to talk to you. Let's just start off with uh, the CPAC speech, the president. Uh, well, CPAC in general, Linda and I watched most of it. Uh, and the president got millions of viewers on this speech. You know, the, certainly Trumpism, if you want to call it that, has not died. Well, I, I regard Trumpism as Americanism, so I think it's uh, it's unduly focused on uh, the president himself as compared to being on his policies and his agenda, which is a uh, America first pro-American policy as compared to Biden's America last policy. So uh, Trumpism is, is just a euphemism, in my estimation, for supporting America in all its interests. Uh, a, few, a few other comments before I talk about the president at CPAC is, uh, first of all, we've, we've been condemning um, uh, the crown prince of, of Saudi Arabia, um, Mohammed bin Salman, uh, for his uh, previous, what they say is his previous uh, murder of of Kosoji, a, uh, a a string reporter for the for the Washington Post, um, it's sort of an act of hypocrisy to do that kind of condemnation, in my estimation, because you know if we look at the previous drone killing of uh, Al Awaki back in the I think 2014, I, I fail to see the difference between a drone killing of an American citizen. Um, who was, you know, obviously involved with terrorist activities, but an American citizen nevertheless, as compared to the killing of, of Kosoji in, a, in the embassy in Turkey. So there's sort of a, a, a significant hypocrisy there and the danger of that. And I think it's the purpose of this focus on uh, Bin Salman at this point uh, is to weaken uh, Bin Salman, maybe even dislodge him from his control uh, of Saudi Arabia, and, and therefore weaken ultimately the influence and impact of Saudi Arabia shifting 
more power directly to Iran. I, I'm inventing that in the sense that I, I have no confirmation of that, but right. uh, it's hard to understand why this would just come out of thin air at this moment. So uh, that's that's what I'm what I'm seeing. Also, perhaps the uh, the, the weakening of the uh, the peace uh, accords reached by President Trump with some of the states in the Middle East with Israel. So uh, I think there's other implications to this uh, attack on Bin Salman. Uh, other than merely uh, uh, accusing him of being the the causal factor in the in the murder of Kasoji, so uh, I think that's something that has to be watched at this point. Uh, also, like to talk about the issue uh, which I, I sent you a notification on nullification, and um, the nullification that took place in Missouri is an interesting. Uh, interesting uh, case example of what nullification could look like. Mm -hmm. uh, Missouri essentially said that if uh, the federal government passes uh, restrictions on on arms ownership or ammunition ownership, that uh, they will have the right in Missouri to arrest federal agents who are trying to enforce that particular uh, unconstitutional regulation of firearms. So, um, again, that is another issue that I think demands uh, being being monitored. Uh, it's hard to say how this will unfold, but uh, as you know, you and I have talked several times about the issue of nullification, and I uh, I think that's uh, certainly a uh, many people see it as not only a way to go, but perhaps the the only way to go. Well, I'll tell, you, it's, I'll tell yeah, you, I'll tell you, Andy. Uh, quite frankly, it, in that regard. Uh, our conversations have so uh, influenced me. I sit on the board of the Foundation for Economic, uh, I'm sorry, for the Foundation for Government Accountability. And uh, one of the things we work on is uh, state legislation in order to uh, enhance liberty in uh, states across the nation, many others. And what, what I'm proposing here in Florida, for example, uh, among states, I'd like to see laws, I'd like to go have somebody watching every executive order that's being passed, and law for that matter, and having, uh, for example, uh, laws that are passed here in Florida that prohibit the implementation of these things. For example, I'd like to see a, 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 an embrace of the 1776 project as part of the curriculum here in, in Florida schools. I would like to see, uh, for example, the uh, pro prohibited prohibition of uh, males and female sports and you know you could go down the list you could have of, of uh, prohibitions that could eliminate or refute or limit the power of uh, this executive branch and what they're trying to do well i think you've highlighted two of the two of the major uh, button issues in terms of executive orders uh, uh, particularly the uh, equality act which would in fact uh, as president trump pointed out at, at cpac on sunday would for all practical purposes, eliminate uh, women's sports. I can I can just see if we extend that to the pro ranks. You take a uh, a male tennis player ranked 210th in the world uh, could somehow declare himself to be a female and join the uh, the female tour and dominate it. Because again, you take the the power of their serve and the overall power of their game, it would dominate the women's game. So right, right. Uh, I, I hate to see that the women who have uh, worked so hard. Uh, excelled in their areas of competition would then be thwarted, not because of lack of ability or skill or effort, but merely because of the biologic factors that set in with male puberty. And those things don't go away with eventual hormone uh, treatments. They they stay in place, bone structure, muscle strength, ten and tendon strength, and so forth. So this, this is a real serious issue, especially if you support the uh, the rights of women to be participants in the in the full range of American athletics, you know. No question. Hey, and it just occurred to me, though, I have seen, I forgot whether it was a pro game or a uh, college game. I think it may have been a pro game. A woman place kicker uh, who kicked a field goal in a game. Maybe it was college. I don't recall. Now, obviously, the, the rules don't apply. I mean, the females do not have the strength that males have, but irrespective, it's... You know, just appreciate any thoughts or comments you might have on that. Well, if if I might, I don't regard field goal kickers as football players. <laughs> but, but that's that's just my my opinion. And until you see them playing offensive line for the Kansas City Chiefs, I don't think we're talking football. But. Okay, fair, fair enough, Andy. So, uh, what what did you think of the president's speech? I I thought he was outstanding. I uh, he he looked. Tanned, rested, and, and, and ready to make the good fight for America. 
his positions where I, I would categorize them uh, in general as uh, as populism to to restate the uh, the American first policies, which seems so so basic as a consideration. How can any American leader uh, in any environment make decisions that do not put America first in those decisions? And mm-hmm. certainly that uh, has not been true with uh, with with uh, with Joe Biden, whether we're talking immigration policy, where where he's turned the border into into chaos. It was a uh, it was being controlled the best it had been controlled in decades, maybe forever. Uh, and and all of a sudden we we have we have uh, a chaos on the the American southern border. So, uh, yeah, I, I enjoy President Trump's speech. Uh, he has been uh, attacked by by mostly, um, I guess I would call them neocon commentators and in terms of his bringing up the uh, the voter fraud issue uh i i happen to welcome it there's there's no one else doing it you know i think president trump as he as he did during his presidency uh he has been left as the singular agent of of bringing up issues that matter to america and in terms of voter fraud if we don't uh if we don't get that under control first of all we have to identify that it took place secondly we have to do look at something like hr1 which essentially would, as far as I'm concerned, Bob, do nothing more than than basically legalize illegal voting. And yeah, certainly that, that seems to be true. Uh, if we look at the specifics of, of H.R. 1, which we could review, but they're, they're commonly available, uh, essentially everything that led to uh, the illegal vote in 2020 would, in fact, become legally inst- institutionalized with, with H.R. 1. Yeah. So, yeah, President Trump brought it up. I think he has a, a personal stake in that, obviously. Uh, but again, he also has an American stake in, in legal elections. And also in 2022, if we're uh, going to be able to retake the House, which is a very good chance we can do that in a legal election process. So uh, if he didn't bring it up, then I would ask the question, who will bring it up? Bob? Exactly. And it has so much more I want to discuss with you. Can you stick around? I'm going to be here. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the F- 
gaorg Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us again Andy Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So uh, <laughs> we have a nominee for the, I think it's the Assistant Health, uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services, Rachel Levine. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Uh, well, Rachel Levine is a is a transgender, which I have no problem with. That's not an issue for me. But uh, it, it does become an issue when that particular perspective on life, transgenderism, uh, begins to influence someone who can control the uh, the health services or influence the health services of America. Uh, in a direct interaction with uh, with Rand Paul, uh, he he asked her, "Is it uh, is it is an eight year old child? I think he said eight year old child. Is, is an eight year old child competent?" to make a decision about chemicals going into their body, hormones, and even have body parts amputated, which we won't go into the details. I think everybody knows what that means. And, and uh, Rachel Levine basically said that's too complicated or too complex an issue to even discuss. So she could not bring herself to mouth the words that an eight-year-old child should not be, independently of their parents, mm -hmm. uh, allowed to make decisions about uh, uh, gender change, sexual change, biologic sexual change in a way, uh, that uh, that the parents would not have any influence over. So uh, these are these are outrageous positions that no rational person, even if even if you're totally a thousand percent in support of transgenderism and have no problem with it, uh, to believe that an eight year old child or any child should have the right to make that decision is just is outrageous, Bob. Yeah, it certainly is. You just can't make this stuff up. So, hey, Andy, you know, there's some things hanging fire right now which are really disturbing. I'm, I'm going to just start off with this stimulus quote and package, $1.9 trillion. Chuck Schumer is shouting out today that, hey, we got the votes to carry this thing. <laughs> and it's just, it's so absurd. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, that stimulus package is not a COVID-19 stimulus package. If we look at the $1.9 trillion, uh, the number I heard is that no more, no more than $800 billion. Now, that's a big number, of course, but $800 billion at most is dedicated to anything that can be remotely associated with COVID-19. Right. Uh, the rest of it, approximately $1.1 trillion, $1.2 trillion, are nothing more than monies going to a Democrat state projects, particularly uh, to somehow subsidize those blue states that have not managed themselves well and have not been efficient and have had outrageous entitlement programs at the state level. Uh, so this is a uh, an increase in the in the national debt of a this is money that's got to be printed. There that money does not exist, uh, and eventually, uh, who's going to pay for that? Well, mostly the millennials, not not people like you and I, Bob. But the millennials will still have to shoulder this uh, this this national debt, uh, which is I'm guessing like twenty eight, twenty nine trillion dollars at this point. So, but to me, it's so hard to imagine that it's absurd. Is. So ne never mind the fact of what good it might do. We just don't have the money. Where's the money coming from? But second of all, as you're pointing out, it turns out to be more of a Democrat slush fund than it is actually a stimulus package in order to get the economy going. And uh, let me point out, too, by the way, the economy is doing quite well without it. Uh, we're seeing a nice recovery and I think probably... A uh, continuation of some uh, unemployment benefits and so forth could be uh, due. But irrespective, this, this thing seems so absurd. And here's the, here's the question I have. How do they get the votes to support this thing? We've got 50 Republican and 15 Democrat senators. Of course, we've got Kamala. Is that her name? Kamala? Uh, as oh, it the depends. <laughs> as, as, as the tie <laughs> vote. So so what not there at least one Democrat who says this thing is flawed or... Are there actually uh, Republicans who say this is probably a pretty good idea? Uh, you know, I, I, that's a question I always ask myself. These, uh, these, this unified voting block that the Democrats so often, in, including Manchin in most cases, occasionally he'll depart from the, uh, the party line. But for the most part, Manchin is deeply uh, part of that process. You know, and to see that unified process is, and I think the Republicans have that consistent bind. If they... Uh, do block this, uh, it manage to block it, the, uh, that, that'll, I'm going to use the word, deprive the American people of, uh, of an additional $1,400 per person on top of the 600 they've already received. Now, I don't think anyone should get that money. But on the other hand, 
Uh, I don't want to give the Democrats another talking point against Republicans that they block direct payments to the American people. So it's it's a bind for them that right now. But uh, on the other hand, to approve this kind of legislation is um, uh, just outrageous yeah. in terms of a country. But you know, but right now, Bob, we're we're essentially functioning under modern monetary theory, which uh, essentially means any government with a central bank can print as much money as it wants. Uh, if there's too much money in circulation, they take it back with high taxes. That's the model I think the Democrats see that we're in. Print unlimited amounts of money for whatever purpose you want to serve. And then where it becomes inflationary, uh, take it back, withdraw it by, by high taxation levels. See, I'm so happy you brought that up because it almost throws out all the rules of economics as we understand them. Because right now, Powell and the others on the uh, in, in the... Uh, I've forgotten the name of the organization, but irrespective, they're willing to uh, buy up bonds, do whatever they need to do. I'm talking about the Fed. Sorry, I, I forgot yes, that word. Yes. About they that are willing to buy up bonds, do whatever they need to do in order to keep the economy going, irrespective of economic principles. Well, this is an economic principle, and a principle doesn't mean it has any degree of integrity to it. But there's a well-established concept uh, that I just described to you in terms of modern monetary theory, which which essentially says you can a central a country with a central bank can can do essentially whatever they want for the moment, mm -hmm. uh, and that's where where the Democrats are. They're doing everything for the moment with absolutely no concern for the for the long-term implication. If we look at every time the government prints. Uh, excessive or any amounts of money, it has direct inflationary impact on everyone's uh, retirement funds, for example, and, and is in a, uh, in a way, it is an indirect tax on all funds that exist in the American economy. Yeah, yeah so interesting. By Andy, inflationary impact. A Andy Joppa, again, professor and author, author of Josephus of Oz. Terrific read. Andy, always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Bob, there was so much more to talk about. No, don't worry. We'll get it so, next week. Well, let's do it next week. Exactly. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. His latest book, he's written so many... I think this is his eighth, if I'm not mistaken. What makes humans truly exceptional? Just came out, and I'm reading it right now. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide two and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, 
Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I want to just do a shout-out for Choice Social. It's a new social and really refreshing social networking platform. You can find out more by visiting choicesocial.us. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's the author of several books, most of which I've read, and I'm very pleased about it. His latest is What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. I've started the book. I'm really enjoying it. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Well, Bob, thank you. It's always a pleasure. So, Professor, I mean, this is uh, just an amazing book, and uh, I'd like to just underscore something that you mentioned in the uh, opening of the book, that your writing is more about, rather, it's rather less about telling than it is understanding. Yeah, I, it's true. I think of of most of my motivations for writing is that it uh, you know keeps me involved in new things and old things, and just I can pursue my interests and learn more about things that I'm curious about, and uh, and uh, do it in a way that presumably there's a, there's a product that's helpful to other people as well. I can share what I learn. Um, I don't. I don't write to pontificate, at least I don't think I do. Uh, I think I try to write to uh, have a conversation, although uh, admittedly it's a rather one-sided conversation because I seem to be doing all the talking. <laughs> well, you've written so many important books. I just wanted to score a couple of, of, of uh, How Everything Happened, Including Us, which is your uh, one before this. Cyber Warfare is a must-read, I think, for everything, everybody to understand what's happening with regard to unconventional warfare around the world, which we are participating in right now. And one of my favorites is Scared Witless, The Prophets and Prophets of Climate Doom. It's a great uh, book, compendium about uh, climate change. Again, your latest, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. Uh, Again, Professor, great reads. Thank you so much for writing them. Well, thank you, Bob, for reading them. My pleasure, indeed. So your latest column in Newsmax is all about the president's speech at the CPAC. You gave it a pretty good review. What are your thoughts? Well, it was interesting. I think a lot of us watched it to see if there was going to be any, any big surprises in it. Or, you know, I, I guess the, the big question was, is he going to announce he's going to run for 2024? And uh, I think it's he at least teased everybody to think he was. Uh, I don't have a great deal of doubt about that. I know that uh, when the uh, you know the, the CPAC poll went out to to see what the uh, various conservatives felt about him, at least within that poll, uh, he got high rating in mm-hmm. terms of both his previous job approval as well as who would be the most uh, promising candidate for them, and, and so he. He succeeded very highly in there, and and DeSantis, governor of Florida, came in at a distant second, and and uh, and Newman from South Dakota trailed by third by some distance. I I, I kind of like her as well, and uh, right, exactly. So it was interesting. I think he he certainly put on a indication that he plans to run, and uh, whether that's uh, you know, the, the immediate uh, priority not right now on the agenda. I think the agenda now is 2022, and the uh, question is what's going to help uh, conservatives uh, gain the Congress back mm-hmm. in 2022. That's certainly on my radar, and I imagine a lot of other people as well. Absolutely. You know, Professor, you start off a speech with, do you miss me yet? <laughs> and my immediate knee-jerk reaction was, absolutely, we miss you. I mean, we watched this agenda of the current president. And by the way, he did, I think, the, did a great job of reviewing the first 30 days of this presidency. And it is dismal and disastrous, quite frankly, in my opinion. He also brought up the in election integrity, an important part in this thing, and uh, intimated that he'd actually won the election again this time. I just... Quite frankly, and, and I realize this is probably a pipe dream, but I wish you would take this to federal court, lay out the facts, and prove the fact that he won the election. Well, the courts haven't been willing to take the, you know, to take it, and uh, it's been shopped at many courts, and they've they've rejected it. Mm-hmm. One would wonder whether it's because, uh, you know, it's a it's a huge uh, it's a huge issue to 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 delegitimize uh, a standing president or 
sitting president, however you want to view Biden, but, um, you know, it's, it's something the courts haven't wanted to touch, even the U.S. Supreme Court hasn't wanted to, and and I, I uh, am always reminded that we had 19 attorneys general of you know, different states led by Texas that submitted a, a, a plea to the U.S. Supreme Court identifying, you know, irregularities in four states that, that according to the attorneys general, when they were quite specific, I wrote about it, claimed would, in each of those four states would have, would have flipped those key states. So uh, I think that's a strong argument. I think there's been a lot of pushback from big tech uh, and powerful interests to uh, dismiss all this as conspiracy theory because, uh, you know, it would be, uh, to, you know, they don't want to delegitimize the president. Uh, you could argue that it would put the country in total turmoil mm-hmm. if you had a totally disputed president. And then you say, well... Uh, you know what is what is the real story here? Who is really the president? Mm-hmm. I got to tell you a little anecdote that I thought was rather rather amusing. Uh, part of it is not so amusing, but uh, a very good friend of mine, who's a doctor who's retired, recently had a stroke very recently, mm. and of course we were all very alarmed about that. And he, and his most strokes had happened very unexpectedly, and they took him to the hospital. He's still there. But he has an absolutely remarkable memory. You know, yet he's, he, you know, throughout his life, he's had a just an absolutely remarkable memory. I, I, uh, it's always been impressed by that. So as as with these stroke victims, you know, as, you know, you you always wonder if they've lost their mental facility because he's faculties because he's he's got paralysis on one side and so on. So mm-hmm. I was relieved. I was talking to him on the phone. I said, I said, you know, Norman, how are you doing? He said, Well. He said, they give me these, these uh, cognitive tests all the time. And they, they ask you these questions. And they asked me a question. Uh, they said, well, who is the president of the United States? He said, we don't have one. <laughs> well, it kind of makes my point. I, I guess the point is this. I said, nobody, in my opinion, now this is just my, my uh, view through the prism, is nobody was willing to put on their big boy pants and face up to the issue that, in fact, there was voter fraud in a in a major way, and uh, the Sup- Supreme Court decided to sidestep it. The uh, House legislatures in Pennsylvania and other places decided to avoid the issue. The Vice President of the United States, in a role where he actually could have stepped up and and made a big difference, decided rather to taken a more ministerial ministerial role in in uh, his role as vice president in counting the electoral votes uh, but i still think the issue is out there uh, i mean I, to me just there's so much proof of fraud it just makes me wonder why it can't all be resolved well i look at you know the trains already left the station i mean we, you know biden is is president the question is how long will he be before even the you know the uh Progressives re- replace him with Kamala Harris, and yeah, uh, yeah. so I think that's very real. But but to me, the the big thing is going behind the scenes. And I I tell my friends, you know, the you know, it's obviously I'm a conservative, and I said, you know, we in Republicans, the, the Democrats throw the ball, and we and we chase it all the time. We're always in reactive mode, and yep. and uh, and while we're chasing the ball, they're doing something. And I think rather dastardly behind the scenes. You look at all these executive orders and these, in in these rulings and so on that are going on. And they want to keep everything focused on and on the orange guy, you know. And they, whether it's another impeachment or whether it's his taxes or whatever they want. And so consequently, they they keep you know they keep the you know the attention. It's like the magician doing the, you know watch the left hand, watch the shiny object thing, and they're. They're doing all this, all this stuff behind the scenes, and right now, they and I've got an article coming out today on this, this HR one uh, uh, legislation that's trying to, that that they're trying to push through the, uh, the oh. House right now, and I'm sure they will, but the Senate's another thing. They call it the People's Act of 2021, and what it is 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 it really something that would have a dastardly impact on on, on voting yeah. rights. Yeah, and, and as early as 2022, and basically, while we're watching all this craziness is going on, or not watching it, or 
uh, as the case may be, you know, they're 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 sacking these, you know, these legislative bills, all kinds of stuff that have to do with with right in you know mail in voting and and uh, and felon and felons to vote. It's really really the the I call it the federalization of elections where where it's supposed to be the state's responsibility to set the rules, even though they don't do it very consistently. But it's really a matter of, you know, a central government takeover of, 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 the, of the elections. And, yeah. and is, you know, if, if you liked what happened in 20, you know, 2020, it's, you know, 2022 is going to just be a, a joy for, for people that like chaos because, because this, this bill is absolutely draconian and, and, uh, and all kinds of stuff, ballot harvesting becomes institutionalized, and so on. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I think if anyone misses Trump, it's just, it's, the, it's the progressives because it, it's it's a great distraction for them while they're while they're doing all this other. Uh, uh, yeah, I think evil stuff that they're pushing. Yeah, a great point, Professor. Again, uh, Professor Larry Bell, author of What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. Great read. I hope you get a copy of it. Professor, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Bob, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests lined up for tomorrow's show. Always appreciate your comments. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.